0: Hi, I'm Claire Riley and welcome to MS Understood. I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in April 2017. At the time, all I wanted to do was get on with my life, put my head in the sand, and privately listen to real people's stories about living with this unpredictable disease. I was deep in denial, terrified about the unknown ahead, and I felt really alone. So here it is, the second season of MS Understood. Conversations with experts on multiple sclerosis, people either living with this incurable disease or professionals who can support those of us living with MS. If you want to find me on social media, you can find me on Instagram at claire.riley. And before we get started, I would like to acknowledge that this episode of MS Understood was recorded across multiple lands. I recognise and acknowledge that all of Australia is unceded Aboriginal land and I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging.
1: I've had a couple of patients since diagnosis. One who was someone who was actually, wasn't dying of MS, but had MS that was quite advanced. Um, and yeah, that was quite difficult. because She was a similar age to me um, and it was quite hard, kind of, and I thought, yeah, that, that could have been me. She was probably diagnosed around the time I first started having symptoms, when equally I kind of was able to rationalize it. And I thought she'd got a very different disease trajectory from me.
0: Today on EMS Understood, we chat with Chris. We talked about the skewed view of disease in the world, but particularly when you're working as a chronic care nurse who's working with people who are quite debilitated from their multiple sclerosis diagnosis. Living with MS and working in that space is curious and a constant reminder to Chris that it is really a spectrum disease. We talk about the guilt that arises in our relationships of not being able to do what we once did before diagnosis. And we also talk about toxic positivity and being in denial after a diagnosis and the importance of finding a good psychologist or therapist. Hi, Chris. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us for the MS Understood podcast today. How are you going?
1: I'm really good. Thank you. Yeah. Got a slightly husky voice from time to time, but it's winter in London. So um, yeah, just got over a, a howling gale that whipped through on Friday but yeah apart from that all good.
0: Um, As you may or may not know we always love to start with a diagnosis story so I would love for you to share yours with us
1: oh my goodness it's very long so it takes a, I'll trying and summarize it quite quickly um so yeah I've <clears throat> I've actually pulled out my notes that I sometimes flashed at neurologists mm. to help me <laughs> um <clears throat> being a nurse I don't like people I know that doctors don't like people who take too long with a history sometimes so I kind of like to have mm. it all summarized and ready um so yeah so 1996 when I was in my early 20s I had this episode of vertigo that lasted for two months um and I kept kind of falling over and walking to one side um ended up going to see um a consultant who was actually I think an ENT doctor who sent me for an MRI scan but all clear and then 2001 so five years later I um got a numb left arm and foot um, but was going through a lot of stress at the time and had some kind of weird symptoms that were just really odd that if you told anyone they just think you were crazy like my nose kept going numb and the front of my teeth uh, my gums like in a stripe down my face it was really weird um, so I went to see a neurologist who didn't really say a huge amount but sent me for a load of bloods so and being a typical nosy nurse and a bit of a hypochondriac as well I wanted to know what was going on so stupidly looked and um, have the ability to read upside down and saw what he was writing because people used pens in those days yeah. and he was writing down that um, he thought I might have multiple sclerosis so I was like oh okay um, which was a bit of a shocker to me really because um, I'd seen patients with multiple sclerosis having worked as a nurse since my early 20s and to my mind multiple sclerosis meant that you ended up in a wheelchair or even more likely confined to bed with kind of contracted limbs unable to move totally dependent that was my view so I was a little bit shocked um, but anyway had an MRI scan came back negative and this was a rolling pattern that would continue these symptoms would recur I'd have scans 2005 went blind in one eye just went to bed one night I had this awful headache thought I'd got a I got migraine woke up in the morning and went out into the garden to smoke a cigarette very naughtily um <laughs> typical unhealthy nurse at the time um, and I couldn't see the bird table I was like that's really weird and I was like what's going on so I kind of kept closing one eye looking uh, um, went to see an emergency doctor who told me to go and get an eye test and was really quite rude went to, see, to the optician who said there's something quite badly wrong so it to got a long story short of course I had optic neuritis um, and they noticed that I'd they sent me for evoke potential studies where they put the little thing to send the current through, which was actually fine. Um, but that came back with demyelination in my eye. Saw so this doctor. He was an ophthalmic surgeon, and he basically and um, he said, "Are you the kind of person who likes to know bad news?" And I was like. That's a really difficult question. Does anyone, would anyone say no? Um, I suppose maybe they would. So anyway, I said, Yeah, I am the kind of person who would like bad news. And he said, Well, there's a 50-50 chance you've got multiple sclerosis. I was like, Oh God, not this again. Like this is so this time it's got to be it. So he said, You need an MRI scan. So there was a, at the time there was a national shortage of MRI scanners in the UK. I ended up waiting, I think it was 14 months for the MRI scan, um, which came back clear. But in the interim, I met a really lovely doctor, was a kind of woman in her 30s. He was really sensible and she could see that I was quite distressed by the weight and about this diagnosis hanging over me. And she said, you've got to remember, MS isn't what you think it is. She said, you know, it's a whole spectrum of illness. You know, there's people you don't see the people in hospital fit and healthy and doing okay because they're not going to be in hospital. Mm. Anyway, the scan came back clear um (laughs) so they said you haven't got ms so you discharged so anyway the pattern continued ended up 2009 had a really bad episode where my hand was numb my leg was numb and i was yawning all the time and exhausted i didn't know what was wrong with me by this point i was like well they keep telling me i might have ms but every time i have an mri scan i haven't got ms um went to see another consultant and he said very little and it was the so he copied a letter to my house so I got home from work opened the letter that was on the doormat and it said thank you for referring this 30 something year old man I am almost certain he has got multiple sclerosis and would be very surprised if he hadn't so I was like oh um would have been nice that to be mentioned before the letter came anyway scan came back negative and this just rolled on and on and sometimes would go like three years four years five years even and kind of I just got to the point this was part of my life that they'd keep telling me I'd mm. got MS and in my head I thought that I'd maybe I thought well maybe I have got a kind of MS but it's clearly really uh, a slow form of MS and I'm okay oh, anyway flash forward 2019 Christmas Day I'm not the biggest fan of Christmas. <laughs> I've never really liked it a huge amount. I don't see much in it for me. Kind of childless vegetarian nurse who kind of um, hasn't got a religious faith, um, always ended up working the late shift. Um, but anyway, I, I was off and sat at home watching TV and I suddenly noticed that my foot was numb. Um, over the next two weeks, it gradually crept up, um, the whole of my left leg into my lower back, going right into my rib cage. Um, I felt particularly tired. And I just thought oh, this is probably just a back back thing or something. I'm a you know I'm a nurse in my late 40s. This is what happens to us. It'll get better. Anyway, two weeks later, I ended up ringing the GP, and I was on the park walking the dog when she called me back, and she said, "You need. To, I'm going to send an ambulance for you now." And I said, "I'm, I'm walking my poodle on the park. You know, this isn't a thing." <laughs> Anyway, it turns out I'd got transverse myelitis. So, and this was the point I was actually diagnosed. So finally the MRI scan showed some stuff. So turns out I'd got eight lesions in my brain and lesions in my C-spine, lesions in my um, sacral area as well. That was how it all started. And I actually was at my desk at work. So this is the corker to, this beats the letter on the doormat. Um, and stupidly I hadn't tied it up I didn't even think oh this is probably MS you know didn't think by this point I'd had probably five MRI scans that were all negative so I just thought oh it's my back you know it's just my back or something and you know I didn't really think anything of the fact that they booked an urgent MRI scan and stuff that I had it done within 10 days doctor rang me at one of the neurologists and said oh um just to say the scan does show that you've got MS um I was like you've just rung my work extension to tell me that I'm in the office. <laughs> so it was a bit of a, I mean, this was pre-lockdown. He didn't need to do this. You know, it was kind of, it mm-hmm. wasn't because there was no outpatients. But I think in his defense, I think he thought that I knew that was going to be the case. I think given my history, and I think he also thought he was saving me time rather than sending me to see a general neurologist. He was like, oh, I'm doing him a massive favor. He can just go and see an MS patient straight away. Ah, wow. So, there we so are. There's,
0: there's so many things in mm-hmm. there that, Firstly, you know, like you said, as a nurse, you, the expectation of MS is in a wheelchair, incapacitated, unable to feed themselves, you know, all of those things, which is interesting that, you know, as a nurse, you think that, but then the person who said to you, you don't see the people who don't need to come to the hospital. Which I suppose is the thing, isn't it, is the people who are quietly going about their lives with MS is we don't hear the stories from them, which is why we're doing the podcast, because they don't need to tell their story because they can mm-hmm. keep getting on with their life. Then I suppose I want to ask you, as as we keep going through your story about you're a nurse, you were diagnosed with MS, yeah. and then COVID happens. <laughs>
1: So I suppose the first bit, um, I mean, I worked, I was a cancer nurse for a couple of years. So I gave chemotherapy on an oncology ward um, and now I'm actually a palliative care nurse. So I see patients with terminal illnesses or chronic life limiting illnesses. Sometimes that can be MS as well. Um, All
0: right. How does that um, make you feel if you're like working with someone who is in palliative care because of their diagnosis? Yeah,
1: it's really interesting. Um, I suppose, it's like when I worked in oncology we did get that viewpoint like we only ever saw the patients who were in hospital because of their cancer treatment and we saw the bad cases you know we didn't see Mm. the patients we didn't know if people got better or if they were never they never recurred or they were in total remission forever you know kind of Mm. or you know cured that wasn't a thing that we saw we saw the patients because they were in hospital so again we had a skewed perspective of cancer in a way and you kind of have to remind yourself it's like my job now I see the patients who are dying because of a disease not the patients who are living well with the disease um it's quite a skewed sort of view of society I think if one of my relatives phoned her a reports and said you know oh gosh I've had terrible diarrhea for a week I'd just be like well it's cancer isn't it of course it's kind of that's my go-to thought which yeah, is not yeah. a normal which and then I have to remind myself like Chris this is not a normal way to think and I've had mm. so straight after diagnosis um I had a patient so we were in our morning handover I told everyone at work what happened straight away and kind of I thought this is got to be helpful you know I kind of I feel like I need my colleagues to support me and people who understand and have some kind of knowledge of it and they were good it was really helpful it was really helpful for me because that's that's kind of my personality type I'm um, one of lifesaver sharers and we were in handover in the morning and we've got a new referral come through for a patient with MS um and I was like okay, this was going to happen three days after my diagnosis. You're like, "I'm I'm
0: not doing that one.
1: Yeah. Hey, universe. And I just felt this kind of tumbleweed moment as everybody was like, oh um, do we say mm. anything do we not say anything and I kind of felt more awkward about what they thought I might be feeling than what I was actually feeling which was mm. very little really I was kind of you know I didn't really tie it to myself I thought that isn't me I'm not at that point in my life at the moment I've had a couple of patients since diagnosis one who was someone who was actually wasn't dying of MS but had MS that was quite advanced um, and yeah and that was quite difficult because she was a similar age to me Um, and it was quite hard kind of and I thought yeah that that could have been me she was probably diagnosed around the time I first started having symptoms when equally I kind of was able to rationalize it and I thought she'd got a very different disease trajectory from me and she was Mm. diagnosed with a primary progressive MS and her the way it happened within her body was very different as well so you know I've got a relapsing remitting MS whereas hers was progressive and I mean equally some people with progressive MS it's you know this everybody's course is completely different isn't it and I just have to have a little I think I have a little mantra in my head and my mantra harks back to what that ophthalmologist said to me years ago and that is it's a spectrum illness and Mm. I say that to myself all the time I say, this is a spectrum illness there's a little part of me that wants to share with them that I've got MS as well which would be so inappropriate and wouldn't help them Mm. at all but Mm. although who knows it might do but um, maybe it would make them feel a different way about me I don't know who knows I, they're not there to listen to my issues kind of I'm there to listen to theirs but yeah there's that curiosity just like oh it's a fellow so let's talk mm. <clears throat> but actually it's not the time or the place really.
0: <laughs> it's so interesting too given that your first symptoms or the first time you told anyone about having anything to do with now what you know is MS was did you say 1994?
1: Um, ninety six, yeah. When I first had ninety six, but and I mean,
0: and it, we talk about how um the 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 earlier the quicker you are diagnosed, the better off it is for your your progression long term. And like so, you had nearly twenty years, yeah, nearly twenty years or yeah. fifteen years of waiting. And so I think in in the scheme of things, it's so interesting to see that. I mean, from all I know, yeah. is your symptoms are relatively um, non intrusive given that though I would love to ask how your symptoms show up now
1: so the numbness in my leg in my left leg actually went um but I've been left with like my two middle toes on my left foot are numb um I had loads of nausea as well and that was quite recurrent and it stayed thematic that that continues um and I get episodes of nausea I get um vertigo that comes and goes quite easily um I'm really kind of easily travel sick by just nonsense like if the dog gets her lead twisted around me and I spin around to like get the lead mm. back rather than use my arm then I'm dizzy kind of thing so I have to be a bit careful or not watch a train come into the into the tube station things like that um, and then I had another I had a relapse early summer last year and I kind of again stupidly thought nothing of it I just started to get this um, sensitivity in my legs all the time and real weirdness just weird symptoms again that symptoms that if you describe them, people would think you were crazy so I started to think that the floor was wet um, and I'd be walking into the kitchen with bare feet and I'd think there was a puddle of water on the floor uh, under my left foot and I'd feel like my foot was going to slip because it was so wet and cold and it was of course then I'd look and it wasn't wet it's just my foot it's me um, but I ignored it and then I got this kind of burning thing in my leg so as well that like a thing called allodynia which is where um innocuous things are painful so like just a slight pressure on my leg would actually cause not like a pain but a discomfort and a burning more a burning than anything else so like um it's always the dog my dog features a lot Um, but if the dog lay laid on my lap and she put a paw on my leg or something it would be like that's really hot like a hot Hmm. water bottle on me so I ignored it anyway I had a telephone appointment with my neurologist um because thanks to COVID diagnosis it took me 18 months to actually meet her but um yeah no I mentioned to her I said oh I've got this burning in my legs and so she was like yep we'll bring the MRI scan forward let's do it now um, and I've got a new lesion in my brain and um, so it was a, a centralized um, nerve pain that's come from this brain lesion so that continues unfortunately I've still got that so um, more my left leg than my right but it's kind of just a real irritant it's kind of a lot of. A lot of heat and burning. It's like someone's rubbed deep heat in my leg all the time.
0: So you know, like a lot of people, is your symptoms are primarily invisible. If someone looked at you from the outside or watched you walking (laughs) or whatever, people wouldn't know anything different.
1: No, unless maybe you were dizzy and kind of. Yeah. Yeah yeah um yeah when I get really tired I did it at work the other day I kind of stumble a bit sometimes but apart from that and I kind of almost like I did nearly sort of slide over to one side the other day but yeah they are very discreet so my symptoms are mostly Mm. sensory rather than motor so I can actually I'm fully mobile um I mean fatigue the one that I kind of thought oh, that's not even worth mentioning we've all got that (laughs) but yeah Mm. the MS fatigue wow that's the thing which is quite annoying
0: You mentioned a partner earlier, either before we started talking or while before I started interviewing. Were you with that person when you were diagnosed?
1: Yeah, we've been together for 11 years, so, yeah, I was. Oh, yeah, right. He he was really supportive, like super supportive and has remained so. He's really good, Um, yeah, Yeah. which is good. But it doesn't stop the guilt because kind of my life has just changed irrevocably and kind of... um, I used to be a really mad theatre fanatic and I used to go to see plays about twice a week. Um, mm. We'd go out, uh, weekends, Paul and I would go and we'd walk all around London. Uh, we only moved to London nine years ago. We were fan- we're fanatics about London. We just love it. And we'd go walk in for miles and miles. Um, Paul's got... Uh, granddaughter and a grandson and we'd be over there like you know kind of and I just feel like all of that it's had to like well just like unravel Mm. part of that like lockdown was kind of part of it as well because you just couldn't do those things it's I'm just so tired I just can't do it it kind of just doesn't seem to be a thing I'm the kind of main money earner for the two of us and the dog um and Paul is a creative so Paul is an artist um so his income is very flaky at times which is fine Mm. um but yeah it's kind of I can't really cut my hours down I can't kind of you know so I have to prioritize work because it's got to be we've got to live and we need to pay for our flat um you know we've got a typical London mortgage which cleans the bank account out so um yeah so I've but that carries with it a guilt as well because although I'm kind of dedicating time into work and then sometimes just um, collapsed on a Saturday um, and just laid on the sofa all day. Kind of, you feel Mm. that kind of guilt. Um,
0: Yeah. And it's interesting. I always, um, well, I'm trying to share, as you know, um, as many different stories as possible. And speaking with someone from the LGBTQIA plus community was really important to me or has been and will continue to be really important to me. But it's interesting that what you're saying is just relatable. Like I feel that. You know, my yeah, husband, yeah. we we met rock climbing. So we're both uh, very outdoorsy. Yeah. I can't, I mean, I can walk, I'm mobile enough, but I am I'm, I'm not going rock climbing on the weekends. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. he's out now, gone for a bike ride. And um, while I can go for a bike ride, I then spend the rest of the day lying on the couch because of the yeah, stuff. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's interesting that although you know we're in different relationships or whatever, that the things that we're still feeling are just the same. I imagine you
1: know similar yeah 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 I've always described myself as indoorsy I'm kind of one of those I've always been like a piss although I love to walk I'm like this is yeah. so not an exercise exerciser I'm really bad at it I'm so naughty um yeah. but yeah but yeah no it's it's really difficult isn't it even things like just watching mm. a film together or something and I end up because I've been at work and I'm just gone you know kind of mm. I seem to just pass out like it's yeah. uh, not even any warning it's like I'm just remember I'm mid like sentence of some dialogue and then I'm like oh where did that go It's, it's mm. midnight. <laughs> yeah really oh um, gosh
0: no i don't get past 8 p.m um or i'm very lucky to get past 8 p.m yeah um
1: yeah, yeah. i want to talk to you
0: about work and yeah. obviously you disclosed your diagnosis quite early on yeah then um, obviously <clears> you had covid <throat> to deal with and in england yeah. from what i am under the impression of it was quite serious and significant yeah yeah so as someone, from what I understand, and you might be able to correct me if I'm wrong, um, having MS doesn't make us immunocompromised, just yeah. having MS, but the medications that we go on then yeah. cause that um, compromisedness. You're not on medication. And, and So
1: I was, yeah, they put me on a medication called Brabier, which is a different formulation of Glutarima, um, mm. which is a like, um, one of the moderately effective ones that's only like 30 percent effective and the reason for that was because i've got i've had a problem with a recurrent urinary tract infection so they didn't want to put me on immunosuppressants until that was sorted out and unfortunately it's still yeah. being sorted out um so that's yeah that's nuts because
0: so utis like so my dad's yeah, a nurse yeah. and he always talks about and i used to get them quite often and i think i'm getting them less. But he says yeah. that they actually make people it's it's a it's as much a mental thing as it is a physical thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, it can do.
0: And you and UTIs is something I think a lot of people with MS suffer from UTIs and maybe yeah. that doesn't get spoken about very often either.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, I think mine's a bit of a weird one. It's kind of, the, I got a urinary tract infection years ago and it's lodged in my prostate and they, it's been really tricky to treat because the antibiotics won't hit it, but I'm kind of getting yeah. there. I've had to have some surgery and different things, but I ended up on um, ofitumumab, which is the a bit like um, ocralizumab, but it's the self-injectable form that you have monthly. Um, mm. Which they gave me that so that they could stop it if things went wrong, which was probably a good idea because they had to stop it because things went wrong. <laughs> and I've got the urinary tract infections came back with the vengeance, so I'm mm. just waiting some possible more surgery and then hopefully go back on that. Um, but yeah, I wasn't immunocompromised, um, but it was all a bit kind of yeah, a bit tenuous. You were kind of because everything was so new and it was this new mm. virus. You were kind of thinking, oh gosh, am I at more risk because I've got MS or? you know what is going to happen and um, i didn't feel like i was at more risk or things were going to be worse i felt like actually there were different other issues like the fact i'm a bit i've got high blood pressure and i used to smoke like a chimney when i was younger and i thought maybe those things might make me more risk at risk but um yeah i actually caught covid really early in the um first wave and i kind of thought oh gosh this is Um, could go really badly Um, and I thought well you just not much you can do about it but just sit it out and just see what happens because at the time there was no treatments at all that they were using and actually bizarrely I was much better than some of my colleagues who got it who Mm -hmm. don't have MS or didn't ever smoke or have not got high blood pressure so I don't know what kind of fluke that was but i got through it somehow anyway i was fine yeah it was not too bad i just couldn't smell or taste anything for a week and then that would that was the kind of extent of my symptoms really wow. um yeah because i thought oh, maybe this will like cause a relapse or something which was a high mm. risk really because getting it obviously getting an infection could increase your risk of a relapse but yeah nothing so yeah take yeah. total good luck yeah, but, wow. yeah work, oh, That's work was quite yeah we were pretty full on because of being a palliative care nurse as well, we often, you know, we usually have a mix of um, caseload. So we we've, we've got some patients with you know malignant disease, or we've got elderly frail people who've got kind of end of life things, or or we've got people who are actually dying. You know, we've got all sorts of different things. But suddenly it became all about people who were dying of COVID, um, Mm. which was really, really different and quite odd. Um, And our jobs became a lot as well about supporting staff in the hospital who just weren't used to this kind of thing, you know, making sure um, that they were okay. So yeah, it was, it was, it was quite big and it was quite tough going. Um, It felt like it was quite full pelt. And I kind of think Mm. I just got through it on adrenaline and kind of just working through it. And, you know, all our holidays were cancelled as well. So, you know, that didn't help as well. So it wasn't like I could kind of space it out but it was kind of a short quick thing and I suppose that at the same time the social life I'd had just completely went which was probably helpful it's probably a good job that I was you know if I'd been trying to do those things as well like going to the theatre and um, it just wouldn't have been yeah tenable at all it would have just all fallen apart
0: how did you manage your fatigue through that? I think
1: I just flaked out on my days off. I think that was what no I did. Managing. Just like, <laughs> no, yeah, managing. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I am, a, yeah. It's, it's, in spite of everything I know, I'm just the most boom or bust person. I'm so terrible. I just I think well, like a lot of us. Um, I
0: think it's really hard not to be. Like um, a friend of mine yeah, mentioned yeah. the other day, and she has endometriosis. And um, I was talking on Instagram about missing out on things, you know, not not wanting to mm. miss out on things. And so then when you're tired, you you don't do the things. And when you feel good, you try and do everything and then you get tired yeah. again. And it's hard because you don't want to miss out on things. Yeah, I think, yeah. like you said, the great thing for you was that everything was closed. So you couldn't do anything anyway.
1: I know. I think I've got a bit of a type A personality as well. And I've got a lot of perfectionism. And for me, I can't kind of like, yeah, let me just clean, wash the kitchen floor. Actually, like, no the kitchen needs to be bleached and the bathroom <laughs> I'll do and the, the Hoover needs, yeah get the vacuum yeah. cleaner out while we're at it as well do it all yeah um yeah, and yeah. then like just pass out the next day kind of yeah yeah oh, well,
0: well yeah works. someone I interviewed <laughs> early on um Tim Ferguson mentioned he reckons that everyone he knows who gets MS are um go-getters like people who always try and yeah, do yeah. too much and they're forced they get MS to force us we get ms to force us to slow down so um i like i like his take on that yeah i suppose, um, it's a,
1: I suppose it gives us a like a positive trait in some ways but a negative one in others <laughs>
0: yeah yeah. do you think so after all of those years of mris which came up blank which i cannot believe it did you I ever know. get an explanation for that
1: no they just would say oh you haven't got ms and i actually had a gp what you know i've I got I sort of, I know it's really trendy to use this word, but gaslighted a little bit as well. You know, even mm. being a nurse, I think actually I'd say even being a nurse, I think as a nurse, because you get gaslighted a, a bit more mm. because of being a nurse. she'd labelled as a hypochondriac or difficult. Yeah, I talk a lot or about you, being a nurse. you know
0: but... enough to start asking different questions. Yeah. And so they're like, no, you don't know what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can remember going to my GP one time and saying that I'd got these symptoms again and that like the centre of my face was numb. I kind of, because I I got migraines in childhood and I used to get um, what they call hemiplegic migraines. So when I used to get a migraine, I would get like an aura beforehand and my left arm would go numb sometimes. So I suppose part Mm. of me thought, oh, it's probably that. And they would sometimes say, oh, it's probably migraine related or la, la, la. And then the GP one time said, you know, and he kind of actually laughed in my face the... um, the community doctor and said um you know maybe we just need to name a new syndrome and call it chris bridges syndrome and i was like okay oh yeah. uh, that's really not supportive um, no. that's just calling me the hypochondriac really i kind of did feel like i was a hy- you know i thought well i'm probably just a hypochondriac
0: mm.
1: um but did you ever have part- the
0: hpv virus or um,
1: the uh, that- we
0: call it glandular fever
1: I did, yeah. yeah. Right. Um yeah. I had quite bad glandular fever when I was a teenager, when I was seventeen. Mm. Um yeah. yeah same. And I was yeah, and I had to um ended up having to drop one of my um subjects at school that I was doing for my exams because I'd I'd missed so much time at school and couldn't catch mm. up. Yeah, it was really difficult. So tired yeah. with it as well. Horrible. So bizarre, um, eh,
0: that connection. But
1: yeah, but th- one thing they never did was a lumbar puncture and i used to kind of sometimes i read about stuff because i thought you know i'd kind of i'm that kind of person who um I th- always think knowledge is power and kind of the more I know, the more I can understand and the better I feel about it, which I think is mostly the case. I think occasionally i trip myself up on that one. but mm-hmm. um, I'd read stuff and I thought, um, and I kind of knew that though, I read a thing that there was a diagnosis of possible MS you could have or that clinically isolated syndrome and things like that. And I was like, oh, maybe I'm one of those people. Um yeah, and then I thought maybe I need a lumbar puncture, but I just didn't feel like I could ask anyone and say, do you mind sticking a huge needle in my spine and just to make me feel happy? <laughs> and also, so know what's they're, wrong bloody, with they're bloody awful. Oh, Ugh. tell me about it. I've had a positive, yeah, I've had one now, which was a really valuable oh, thing okay. to do. Mm. Oh, gosh. Even even when they've had the lesions on my brain and spine, they still, um, I'd also, earlier that year, I'd had a problem with my eyes again, where I got some funny penumbras around my vision like sort of rainbows around the edge of my vision and some kind of blurring um, and they diagnosed me with a thing called uveitis where part of my eye was inflamed and apparently you can get that with ms which i'd not realized but they mm. attributed it to the ongoing urine infection and said it was related to that so but then when i got diagnosed with ms they were like oh maybe because you've had uveitis it's possible that you've got this other problem uh, or there's different Oh, so yeah that can mimic ms so i was like they had to exclude all these other syndromes so i was like okay let's go through this um but we got there but yeah they i was actually really happy when the lumbar puncture came back and showed that i would got oligoclonal bands i was like yeah mm. that means i've definitive you can't um no one's yeah. arguing with this one with the with all the proof now and i can actually move on and maybe get treatment so, yeah, I want
0: to ask: Do you, given, like I said, it, it took so long to get the diagnosis. Um, do you think that you've come, and, and it's quite recent, like within what are we, two years now?
1: Two years, do you yeah. Think you've
0: come to accept your diagnosis, and if so, what helped with that?
1: Gosh, I'd like to say just listening to um, mopey, sad music and like um, crying to Lana Del Rey maybe was the start. <laughs> mm. When it first, when it first happened, I was in a state of complete shock, um, and I was just like it was weird kind of shock but not shock it was like kind of I always sort of thought this was probably going to happen but then I'd got so complacent about it and it, it took me a while and then I kept thinking oh well I've still got this urine infection maybe half these symptoms are to do with that you know um maybe I'm tired all the time because of this ongoing infection and there's a little bit of me that still often thinks that but then I mm. kind of get a bit more real about it I think what helped me accept it was to kind of think more along the lines of this isn't a disease process that has to be one thing there Mm. were bits of me it was conflicting I felt actually I felt angry that I was actually more ill than people knew because everyone Mm. thought I was okay and they were they were like all looking at me like well he's fine he's absolutely fine you know he's going about his business he's all all right he's going to work he's got a full-time job and I was like why don't people realize that I'm, I'm not well kind of and that I feel awful this is really awful that was quite frustrating but then mm-hmm. there was another part of me that felt guilty for not being ill enough and I thought actually I should be more ill how dare I kind of say that i feel terrible when i like see these people who are on instagram who are having terrible times or on forums or message boards who are describing this awful time they're going through where they can't work and they can't do this and that um and that which i was having these quite devaluing thoughts so i think it was just a process i had to follow through to go through all these things in my head and kind of give myself a bit of talking to Mm -hmm. really so i'm now under i'm under the specialist neurology hospital in london and they have psychological services so i asked to be referred for because being a a palliative care nurse as well i'm used to all this stuff and i'm kind of like yeah, you've got adjustment disorder you need treatment for this because we'd see that in complex grief with kind of people mm. who, who after like a certain amount of time you know they're they're still stuck in this place you kind of would say oh they've got adjustment disorder so I, I was like self-diagnosed adjustment disorder so um and who knows maybe I have maybe I haven't but yeah um, unfortunately I'm still on a waiting list for the psychological therapy like a year down the line but I think the thing that's really helped me is kind of it's I think my partner's support has been massively helpful I'm also um over from the past as well I had an episode of depression and sort of stress burnout that was sort of partly work related partly life um and had some th- a few years of therapy which I was lucky enough to get as funded therapy in England um So I think I've kind of got those tools as well that kind of help me. I think for me, one of the big things I find really difficult, I'm really bad with toxic positivity. Um, I'm really bad with denial as well. I find it really hard. Mm. It's so difficult. Um, I really struggle sometimes when we get patients at work who are just in complete denial. I kind of accept it and I embrace it for them. And I think, you know, if this is the way you want to be, we'll go with it. If you are never some people will never ever accept what's going on to them and you just have to support them and work around it but i'm not sure yeah as protective as it can be as a mechanism i think it can also be quite a destructive thing
0: yeah oh absolutely i think everyone after diagnosis should see a therapist or psychologist yeah i I agree I mean, realistically, I think everyone on the planet should see one if they yeah, get a chance, total. but um, but particularly after a diagnosis. Um, yeah, so agreed. So hopefully hopefully, get into that soon. Yeah,
1: yeah, um, yeah. I've
0: got two questions I love to ask everyone at the end of oh, the episode. Do it. Tell me the best thing to have happened to you because of your MS.
1: Oh. oh, I've actually met some really nice people um, who've got MS, which is lovely. Yeah. Um, just through – so – Initially, I kind of got a bit obsessed with like wanting to be on forums and being this like 100% died in the wall nurse. Um, I ended up wanting to help everybody and kind of whatever was wrong. They'd be like people would be typing things like I remember a woman, she complained about nausea and this pill the doctor had put her on. And I was like, I can tell what's wrong here. It was really obvious to me that she'd got this kind of it sounded like she got a slowed up gastric tract and something was going on there and she needs to be on this kind of pill. So I was like, you need to get back. So I couldn't help, but kind of try in a very gentle non-medical way. Cause obviously I wasn't seeing her to say, mm. you need to get back to the GP and you, you know, you need to think about a different medication and try and ask these questions. These are the questions I would ask him. Um, yeah. And so I had to kind of stop that, but so I've given up the forums pretty much. Don't go anywhere near them very selective who I follow on Instagram um and which things I listen to or watch mm. um but at, in the process I did meet some really amazing people from um someone from New Zealand someone from Scotland and um who've been super helpful and people more locally to me as well and they've all been kind of just um virtual friendships just via mm. email or messages or kind of Instagram and stuff but actually they've been amazing so I think that's a really good thing
0: and what is something you would tell people to make MS more understood?
1: Oh, oh, the thing that I've said multiple times already. I'll say it again because I love this. It's a spectrum illness, and it's just not mm. one thing. So MS doesn't mean what I thought it meant when I was a student nurse, was that yeah. you were kind of in bed and that none of your arms and legs didn't work at all, and um, you were totally dependent. Yeah, I would say that it's just, it's it's varied.
0: Mm. Thanks so much, Chris, for taking the time to speak with us for the MSMCA. Okay. It's podcast been a pleasure. Today.
1: Thank you very much. It's been a joy. I've enjoyed it.